This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Welcome along to Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast here on the Blood Red channel. Myself, Guy Clark, back in the hot seat as we're going to get back into our transfer picks series today. Josh Williams, Analyzing Anfield Supreme, as ever, here with me. Josh, how are you doing, mate? I'm good, mate. You're too kind, as usual. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we, I'm, I'm really looking forward to today's episode, actually, mate. We've, um, in the past, we've looked around Europe, we've picked out players to watch at the Euros, and of course, you and Dave even sort of recreated the whole Liverpool team, sort of going back to when we started really picking out these sort of transfer picks and players that Liverpool should maybe be keeping an eye on. But today, we're going to talk about all things homegrown players. Of course, it's off the back of Liverpool's reported interest in Jared Bowen, which came out last week. And you and Dave analysed that here on the pod. So do go and check out that one if you missed it last week. But basically, rules in the Premier League and Champions League dictating that Liverpool can have no more than 17 foreign players in their 25-man squad, meaning eight of the 25 have to be homegrown and four of those in the Champions League have to be club-trained as well. So plenty of sort of things to work around. But for Liverpool at the moment, Josh, they're in the position where currently of the 25-man squad you would create for Liverpool, they've already got 17 foreign players. And of course, with the homegrown players, a couple of them, the likes of Jordan Henderson and James Milner also, aren't getting any younger. So this is sort of constantly one of those things that Michael Edwards has to be thinking about. Yeah, and this is the kind of thing that tends to be overlooked, I think, particularly on the likes of Twitter and stuff. And people tend to take the, the transfer perspective of like, you know, football manager or FIFA or a game like that. But in the real world, it's it's difficult. You've got to think of all these these stipulations and stuff like that. And I spoke fairly recently, I think it was, about Liverpool doing this sort of thing. And usually Liverpool will, will acquire these players when they're quite young. You know, if you think of the players who are in the squad at the minute, the likes of Harvey Elliott, Joe Gomez was picked up very young. Jordan Henderson, I think, was 20 when he joined Liverpool. James Miller was on a free. Um, sometimes you fill the slots using backup goalkeepers and stuff. So there's, there's creative ways to do it. And if you're going to sign one of these players when they're in the prime, you're probably going to pay full whack for them. You know, if you think of, say, for example, a Jaden Sancho, who's just gone for about 70-odd million. Yep. Ben White going to Arsenal, mate. You know, your your club for about for around 50 million. Thoughts on that, actually? Just... I think, personally, I mean, yeah, very quickly, I think it's a good signing, to be fair. Age, decent. I think the fee is, is fairly large, but... It is one of those that fills one of these quotas. Aaron Ramsdale's another who's been sort of linked with Arsenal. I think that's with the, the homegrown thing in mind as well. And also, I suppose, looking further afield as well, Chelsea, they've looked to, to bring in Marcus Bettinelli. That's sort of a bit of a, a cheat they've often used. You mentioned there about the the uh, third space goalkeeper. It's often been something that Chelsea in particular have used, even going back to when they had Ross Turnbull, they had Rob Green. I'm not sure if Asmir Begovic off the top of my head might not be homegrown, having sort of come through it at Portsmouth and then moved on to to Stoke and things. But it is something, as you say, that clubs do look to utilise and do. And Manchester City in particular as well this summer, sort of caught in a similar position, hence maybe why the fees for the likes of Grealish and Kane might get driven up even higher. But it's something we're going to look into. I mean, one thing I think that's key to caveat right at the start here is that in the Premier League and also in the Champions League, under 21 players, 
don't need to be registered. So, for example, in the Liverpool squad mentioned before, I would sort of say at the moment it's a, it's a bit of a 29-man squad that Jurgen Klopp has at his disposal. But the likes of Nico Williams, Reese Williams, Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott all wouldn't need registering. But at the same time, that means they then don't take up one of those homegrown slots. So at the moment, they, they really are on a balancing act, Liverpool, with 17 foreign players and eight homegrown players, albeit the likes of Karius, Shakiri, and Origi could all move on. So, I mean, it might be said that Liverpool may not end up signing a homegrown player during this transfer window and will free up the foreign slots to bring in other players. But I think certainly in the case of, of James Milner and Jordan Henderson in particular, it is key, isn't it, that Liverpool are looking at sort of what options are around. And today we're going to sort of take three picks each. Hopefully we've not had too much crossover here. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll see how we go. Josh, do you want to do you want to kick us off with the first one, mate? Yeah, I've uh, I've gone down three different routes here. So I think I'll start with yeah, I think I'll start with the name that many people probably haven't heard of. He only really appeared to me fairly recently when I saw links with him to Borussia Dortmund. Um, so it's Noni Maduch, is maybe the way you say it. I'll let you yeah. be the expert on that one, mate. No, no, I, I have to say I've not heard his name be said, but I do think you're, you're right. PSV Eindhoven, a winger who's appeared for the England under-21s, maybe sort of best way to put it. Is that right? That's right, yeah. He's, uh, as you say, PSV. And uh, Borussia Dortmund have just obviously had to replace Jadon Sancho. Um and in their quest to replace him, they, they ended up signing Daniel Marlon, who obviously was linked with a move to Liverpool. But in, in their negotiation process, whatever you want to call it, they were linked with, with this lad as well. So obviously they've been watching Marlon and this lad has shown up. Um, still only 90, 19 years old and he's left-footed. But he just looks like an interesting type of forward that is obviously homegrown. Um, he's around six foot tall. And I think if you look at his build and the way he uses the ball and stuff, he reminds me a little bit of Marcus Rashford. In in in, you know, I think Rashford got that kind of slight but tall and really fast profile, um, and he's quite unpredictable on the ball. And th- this lad is similar. Uh, he initially came through at the the Crystal Palace Youth Academy, and then Spurs, and then he moved to to PSV around the time that Liverpool signed Minamino. So he hasn't been there long. Um, changes direction really quickly. As I said, he's, he's tricky, unpredictable on the ball and stuff. And um, he's, he's at that age that Liverpool, you know, despite him being English and stuff, or certainly taking the home, homegrown quota, he's at that age that Liverpool could still probably get him without being taken to the cleaners, basically. I, I, I think Liverpool like to pick up those players before they really hit, you know, the stardom period or even close to that. Like if you think of Ben White, Liverpool were linked with Ben White when he was at Leeds. Um, they decided to move early on these players. Obviously, that hasn't happened with, with, with that one, but with this Nonny Maduk fella, he um, he looks like a, a Liverpool-type attacker. He's still got plenty of development to do. You know, he's nowhere near good enough to to oust the likes of, you know, even Jota and Firmino and Mane and players like that. But he looks like one to watch. And, you know, I think with the show is is taking the home, homegrown boxing. He looks like an interesting one who's doing that from abroad. 
Yeah, definitely. I'd say whilst you were talking about him, I, I wasn't all sort of too aware of him, but I've just looked into his numbers there and he's played 37 times for the PSV Eindhoven first team. He's got nine goals, nine assists. He's already played this season in Champions League action for them. Actually, they're, they're the second leg of their uh, second round match for Champions League qualification against Galatasaray is actually tonight. They won the first leg 5-1. He got an assist in, in that game as well and uh, yeah, was starting, got 76 minutes under his belt. So he's an interesting one. And I know when we did the Q&A, Josh, it's a position I personally, looking at the Liverpool squad, do feel. I mean, I'll go on to my pick shortly, which don't actually cover this position. But I do feel that that left-footed kind of player, I, I don't want to say in the Salah mould, but you know what I mean? Someone who can play off the right, who can also maybe do some damage through the middle as, as well at times, is sort of something that, that Liverpool should maybe kind of be considering adding to the forward line. Of course, Harvey Elliott does a, a similar role and even Kai Gordon down in the, the youth academy is there as well and his path won't want to be stunted. But... As you say, I suppose if if the uh, business could be done at the right fee, he's got a bit of pedigree behind him as well, this lad. Yeah, well, I probably should have flagged that, you know, his versatility across different positions is is quite notable considering his age. He's predominantly played on the right in like a Salah-type role, cutting inside, using his left. But he's also played as a centre-four. I think he played about 2,000 league minutes maybe last season. And I think 800 of them were as a centre-forward. About 200 of them was from the left and the rest from the right. So, he, again, he fits that Liverpool-type mould of being really versatile, um, capable of being a bit of a blank slate almost for Klopp to just use wherever he needs him. Jota's he certainly like that, Mane, certainly like that. So, yeah, he's he's in that Liverpool mould. And as I said, it's very, very early. Uh, he hasn't been, been doing the business for very long and Liverpool usually like to have a, a fair amount of minutes behind the player to go on before making a sign and investing a fee in them. But given that it doesn't look like he's going to get picked up this summer by anybody, considering Dortmund went for Marlon instead, you know, keeping an eye on him for the next season, it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. Because these, these players who are homegrown, particularly English, if they do well abroad, they do usually end up coming home at some stage. Yeah. Um, And I'd, I'd expect to see it with this lad if he ends up fulfilling his potential, which, you know, it looks like he's got plenty of. Yeah, there's been a few rumours about £20 million fee from this summer. So uh, we may well see him arrive back in the Premier League this summer anyway. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Right, my first pick, it's uh, I've got a wild card up my sleeve, albeit it's, it's nowhere near as sort of hipster as, as your shout there, Josh. But I'll, I'll go sort of with my, I suppose... Um, most straightforward pick straight up. And I've I've gone in on Calvin Phillips, obviously Leeds United and start for England at the Euros as well. And I have to say, prior to that, I know tentatively, as you say, when Liverpool were watching Ben White, there was a few shouts about Calvin Phillips to, to Liverpool at that time and certainly since the Euros. But I have to say, during that tournament, he really did surprise me and kind of stepped up to kind of the elite level and really sort of showed what he was about. He, he played nearly 2,500 minutes in his debut Premier League campaign last season, 28 appearances to his name. And I have to say, Josh, for me, the thing that was really impressive during the Euros was how he kind of took on that responsibility. And I think whenever the time does come for Jordan Henderson to move on, personally, I feel for Liverpool, it would be valuable to bring a player in prior to that transitional period. And even whilst James Milner 
is still at the club as well to kind of those intangible qualities that we talk about quite a lot on the podcast of the, the upholder of standards and kind of what it means to play for Liverpool. I think having come from a club such as Leeds United, being the homegrown lad there and having the burden of responsibility on him. I feel there are sort of a few qualities there, albeit he is already 25, Calvin Phillips, that could be suitable to moving in and stepping in and playing at, at Liverpool's level. Yeah, Oliver, I think you might have asked me about him actually during the during the Euros and my opinion of him is 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 good. You know, I think I like him as a player. I think he's good on the ball. For England in the Euros, I was particularly impressed with his work without the ball as well. Um, you know, he's he's kind of got that old school approach of he's he's basically willing to put a foot in. I think is be- yeah. maybe the best way of putting it. And I do like that about certain players. You know, Milner's got that about him. You know, I think specifically the the second leg against Vermeer in the Champions League, straight in on Benzema inside five minutes. You know, putting him on the floor and he needed treatments and stuff. And I think Phillips seems to have that about him, fairly well rounded and stuff. Um, and he's obviously shown that he's he's really comfortable playing an intense brand of football when it comes to representing Marcelo Bielsa's team. So, yeah, the, I think the only issue is is what you've just said with with his age. You know, with the fact that he's 25, if he is going to move, that move has to come really, really soon. Liverpool do need a midfielder. Uh, obviously, Wayne Allen's left, so it'll be interesting to see if he's on that shortlist because Liverpool do seem to have fairly long shortlists at times and if they can throw English players on the shortlists, like we've seen with Jared Bowen, they certainly seem willing to do that. So it'll be interesting to see if anything does happen there with Phillips. But I would personally doubt it simply because I think if that was going to happen, it might have already happened. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I like, I like the shout though because it's it is a, a difficult, you know, ticking the homegrown box. It does limit your selection of players and. I think when you look at those players in isolation, Phillips is certainly up there. It's one of those though, isn't it? That I suppose for Liverpool, they've had to wait kind of all this time now for him to be 25 to watch him in the Premier League. You sort of mentioned Ben White before and even when I was picking up Phillips then and obviously they were at Leeds together and the feeling with Liverpool was they wanted to see how White acclimatised to, to playing at Premier League level. But then by then, everyone's sort of clapped eyes on them and the secret is kind of well and truly out about these players. But I have to say with with Phillips as well, just sort of digging into a couple of the, the numbers, it is that ability to kind of play a number of different midfield roles that I certainly thought, and having seen him play at Leeds during his, his time in the Championship an awful lot during sort of their two seasons under Bielsa at that level, he's always kind of played that deep-lying midfield role of stitching the midfield together and starting off attacks and playing sort of those those angled balls forward like Fabinho does from the, the heart of midfield. But in the Euros with England, how he took on that different role of getting around the pitch and we know Jurgen Klopp's midfield it is functional, yet there are a lot of different roles within there. It's not just everybody just sort of runs around closing down channels and looks to intercept and start counters. They do have their own sort of individual roles within that though. It all blends together. And I think for me, Phillips could sort of, you could see him slotting into kind of any one of the three roles. Yeah, well, I do like his versatility. And um, I think particularly for England, when 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 he was used higher up the field, I think in the first game, he, did he score the opening goal or got the assist? Against he got the, the assist, Lakers? didn't he? Yeah, the assist. Yeah. yeah. He looked he looked comfortable, more comfortable than I thought he'd look, personally. I obviously didn't see that much of Leeds when he was in the Championship. Um, but I think, the only question mark I'd have on him is, 
a Liverpool midfielder, although they have been functional in the past few years, I think they've been functional mainly as a product of what Klopp inherited, maybe. Um, yeah. And I think generally, if you watch Liverpool play, they, they dominate the ball so much. And in the large majority of games, the emphasis is on Liverpool to find, it, find the open and goal to basically change up the match scenario. Because most teams face Liverpool and are just happy to leave with a point. So the onus is on Liverpool to score. And I think as a result of that, Liverpool just need threats everywhere. Liverpool need threats all over the pitch. Players who are dangerous everywhere. Um, so although you want functional players in your midfield who are going to offer balance and stuff, they need to offer some form of threat on the ball. You, you, well, I'm, I'm kind of glad you. I'm kind of glad you mentioned that a bit, Josh, because I was looking through the stats, and that that was exactly in my thinking. Was <laughs> does he offer enough for a threat? Now, I was using WhoScored.com and sort of looking through the stats there, and I, I saw that he played 35 key passes in 25 games in the Premier League last year, which was 16th for. I took out the attacking midfield players, but for sort of central wide midfielders and defensive midfielders, it was 16th in that. And in terms of homegrown players, only Ward-Prowse, Westwood, Harrison, Mount, uh, McNeil at Burnley and Shelby were ahead of him. Now, the majority of those, Ward-Prowse certainly, Westwood certainly, Mount and Shelby are all the respective set-piece takers for their clubs. I'm not entirely sure if Phillips is or if, like at Leeds, with with everything, it sort of seems to be a, a shared team responsibility. But I was quite surprised by that. Yeah, I am a little bit. Um, no, he's done, he's done fairly well there, but then at the same yeah, I'm time, glad I had that one up my sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> but then at, at the same time, I think you know, the, the filter that you've used there to where you filter homegrown players or, or English players or whatever it might be. Um, I think although that might be the case, it, even if you're outperforming homegrown players, that still wouldn't make you Liverpool level. You know, Liverpool level is seriously high. Yeah. And the best the best homegrown player out of a certain group might still only be good enough for Leeds or yeah. Everton or, you know, a team like that. And so I'm not trying to downplay your shout by any means. I don't like that. No, it's just no, no, no. Of... I agree with what you're saying. But no, I, I I did have sort of the same reservations. But I was sort of, um, yeah, as I say, a, a bit surprised. But And, and Phillips does playing an ultra-attacking side, actually. So you, you would maybe even hope that those stats could be even higher. Anyway, let's move on to the second shout. And uh, who's, who's your second pick then, Josh? So my second pick would probably be my more obvious pick. Um, but it's it's a player who, I, I, sadly, I can't see it happening for financial reasons because I said, I said earlier that Liverpool you like to buy these players before they've kind of assumed the spotlight. This player has assumed the spotlight, in my opinion. So it'd be a hefty amount that Liverpool would have to pay unless there was some. I've got a bad form. feeling where you're heading with this. I've got a feeling <laughs> we've got a similar name. Well, well I've spoken I've spoken about him plenty of times on the podcast before. I'm a huge fan of him and it is Harvey Barnes. Um yeah, long term listeners of the show will know that I'm a huge fan of this kid. I think he's very, very clop. I think he's very direct. Um, really fast, doesn't shy away from from a challenge or a battle. I've mentioned before on the pod that his teammate, um, Hans Hansa Chalzi, who he came through the youth academy with, said to Brendan Rodgers that he's the type of player who plays better when he's angry. And again, it's just like a little weird character quirk, but I I like that. I like a player who, um, when he's maybe faced with a bit of adversity will 
will face up to it basically and won't won't shake away from it. And again, that feels very Liverpool considering the whole mentality monsters thing that that was established over a year ago and stuff. So he he ticks all those boxes. He's still only twenty three, I think he is. Yeah, uh, yeah twenty three. Um, obviously. Injured towards the back end of the season, so he he moves away from the spotlight a little bit. But you know, if you look at what he's done at Leicester um, in the season that's just finished, of which he played about twenty one and a half full nineties, so around two thousand minutes. You know, he scored nine goals, assisted four. Season before that, he scored six goals, assisted eight. They're kind of the numbers that maybe Jota was posting for Wolves and. Around what what Marnie was posting for Southampton, and I think if you look at Jota at Wolves, you know at a smaller Premier League club, Marnie at Southampton, smaller Premier League club, Barnes at Leicester feels similar. Just maybe a little bit, obviously Leicester a little bit bigger. Leicester competing at that at a bit of a higher end, which makes the deal difficult to do. And if you look at his contract, he's contracted until twenty twenty four, so that's another three years. And Leicester seems to be really switched on when it comes to the, the recruitment side of things. I like I love the way Leicester do business and stuff. And whenever they do sell a major player, you know, thinking Maguire and Mares and stuff, they seem to um get a fair amount to get 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 the value from from those transfers. So when it comes to Barnes, I doubt Liverpool will be able to exploit that one and get him to to Anfield. But I think if they could that'd be the type of deal that I'm sure Liverpool would jump at. Yeah, it's not actually, I was going to say, I thought you were going somewhere else, which I'll I'll go in a minute with my second pick, but, but let's talk more about Harvey Barnes first. I'd say first time I saw him was when he was, he had a loan spell at Barnsley and uh, remember seeing him then in the championship and he was, he was very lively. I think he got five goals or so for them then and would, would only have been a teenager at the time, but, but also during his time at West Brom and sort of taking what you say about him sort of playing a lower end Premier League and then being able to maybe make that jump up. He has also, I suppose, very much more on a micro level, played in an attack that he has been needed to be the main man of providing. Now, the half season he spent at West Brom, that he, he had such a good time at Leicester, did recall him. I think he got nine goals and eight assists in that first half of the season. It was West Brom's first year back in the Championship after, I think, nine years maybe in the Premier League. And he was the man that really drove them forward. And after he was recalled, West Brom sort of fell off the, the pace that they'd been setting of being in the top two and in the end lost in the playoffs. But I suppose even at 23 turns to 24 in December, that this is a guy who sort of just thrives off the responsibility and the need to kind of be the person to to put up numbers. We talk so often, especially here on, on this podcast, about goals and assists and the need for output. And Liverpool do their homework so much. And I suppose we'll look back throughout his whole career and actually see that this is a lad who year on year seems to sort of add to the goals and assists that he puts up. Yeah, he, he showed up for me first when he was at West Brom. That was when I was first aware of him because I was just generally writing about writing for certain clubs and stuff like that. And he, he showed up as a player who um, was competing in the lower division. I didn't actually, when I first saw him, I didn't know he was who he was contacted to actually. And I saw particularly his, just his XG. His XG was quite high and I was thinking, okay, this lad's either taking loads of shots or he's getting in a really good shooting locations or something. And then when I looked into him a little bit further, I realised that he, was, he contacted to Leicester, he's on loan from Leicester. Then I saw that he was 
getting recalled. So obviously he was kind of maybe ahead of ahead of development sort of thing to to, to get recalled halfway through alone. Um, and as you say, he just he just looks. I think what you used there, the word lively. I think that's a good word for him. He's he's that kind of just direct, really busy type of forward who's who who, who you've kind of always got to be concerned about. I don't think he's as versatile as Jota in terms of. I think Jota can play. You know, as a false nine, if you want him to, I think he can play as a centre forward or on the right. I think Jota's very, very two-footed, which we've established on this show before. Barnes is a little bit more, you know, playing on the, playing in Marnie's role and yeah. wanting to play in Marnie's role pretty much every week. Although I do think I'd like to see him as a centre forward at times. Um, I'm pretty sure his was, dad was a centre forward. His dad was a professional footballer too. I think his dad was a was a centre forward. But yeah, 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 maybe so. Yeah, but I think you know if you look at the, even his physical game, he, he's quite he's quite built. He's he's not he's not quite. Um, Wayne Rooney levels. I remember Rooney was a, an absolute monster in terms of being players were just bouncing off him, but he was also really fast as well. I don't think Barnes is as built as Rooney was, but he's he's, he's really you know upright and strong, isn't he? And um, he's the type of forward that I'd, I I think Liverpool would be would be really interested in. But it, it's one of them that, given he's now kind of developed past that stage, like White has, um, it might be one that Liverpool deem now to be too late or too expensive or whatever, but he's, he's he's certainly still young enough to make the move. I just think he might now be too expensive. Yeah, he's he, full England international as well. That's not going to help with the negotiations, but it, it is one of those. And I, I sort of think you, you probably look at him and think, actually, if he'd stayed fit and hadn't picked up the injury that, that he did get against Arsenal, incidentally, at the King Power Stadium, that maybe, had he been fit, Leicester probably would have ended in the, the Champions League places just to sort of what they lost when he did pick up that injury. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, his injury record generally is quite strong. Um, I th- I'm just going to get it up now, actually, while I'm speaking. Uh, yeah. So, according to transfermarket.co.uk, that's his only injury that they've got recorded down for him. And again, that we know that's a Liverpool box that Liverpool tend to tend to look at players who have got clean injury histories because it's it offers an insight into the, how much they're going to be injured moving forward. And obviously, this time around, this injury that he has picked up, he, he I don't think he made an appearance after it. I think the, I think it ended it ended the season, and now he's obviously got a summer to to kind of rest it. So there's. There's no immediate return from that injury. He's had a full, full recovery there, so it should be fine moving forward. And I think he, I think I just think gradually he'll be one of those players who begins to show up more and more and more, and probably will get linked to a move to Man United when he scored in 25. I wouldn't be surprised, but I, I like Liverpool, and I'm sure Liverpool like to themselves move before ahead of the curve, basically, and. Maybe that cave's passed when it comes to bands. Yeah, well, well, we'll have to wait and see. A lot of people talking about Liverpool and another Leicester City player, and that being Yuri Tielemans. But maybe, maybe he is someone who is being considered by Liverpool. Certainly be keeping an eye on it at our end, and I'm sure that won't be the last mention he gets on Analyzing Anfield. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. My second pick is a certain Jude Bellingham. I couldn't, I couldn't not, to be honest, Josh. Um, when you were talking about sort of someone who's already hit heights, and personally, I think this lad may well be there. Obviously, Dortmund—they've sold Sancho this summer. 
Erling Haaland looks as though he may well go next summer. So I think he's going to still be in Germany for a good while. But of course, he does have his homegrown status having come through the academy at Birmingham City. Youngest goal scorer for them, youngest goal scorer for Borussia Dortmund too. And only 18 years of, years of age. And let's not forget, he's a, he's a central midfield player. But this guy sort of, to me, ticks all the boxes of someone like a, a Genie Wijnaldum in where, and certainly due to his age, if you were able to get him on the books, you could mould him into pretty much anything you wanted. Yeah, well, again, sadly, he uh, he just feels destined for Man United, doesn't he? Or, or, or maybe Chelsea or, or a team like that, just because he's going to, he seems to be approaching that that big money move, that back to England, that exactly the same as Sancho, really. But I think Bellingham's really top quality, to be honest. You know, considering his age, he does not look like an eighteen-year-old. He looks like a, he look. You'd think he was about 24, 25, the way he plays and stuff. Um, really well-rounded, doesn't have many weaknesses at all. Physically good, and I think, funnily enough, is is um. His idol, I think, is actually Stephen Gerrard guy. Yeah, so there we go. The boxes are ticked. <laughs> and he was, by all accounts, he was chewing the ear off Jordan Henderson whilst away with the, the England squad during Euro 2020 and soaking things in like a sponge from him. And for me, going back to the points I sort of made about Calvin Phillips and having sort of that upholder of standards, if you could get him in and sort of have him around the likes of Jordan Henderson and just learning from those. I mean, the prospect of a Curtis Jones and Jude Bellingham midfield would be absolutely terrifying, would it not, for the rest of the Premier League? Yeah, I'm sure it would. And I, I, one painful thing about this one, you, you just can't see it happening, can you? Because no. Borussia Dortmund, is, again, similar to Leicester, they don't really ever get taken to the cleaners when it comes to these transfers. Bellingham's contracted till 2025, so that's another four years. So they're, they're comfortably covered there and they'll probably extend that if they can. Um, and, you know, given Bellingham's level and stuff, it's, it's the type of thing that Liverpool would just seek value elsewhere, I think, given Bellingham's probably going to demand by the time he actually moves and the, the transfer market's settled after COVID and stuff, he's probably going to be Pogba-type fees or more. Um, and I, I, I'm not. I, he's probably deserving of that as well, but... It's it's a sad one to talk about this one because this one you do feel like there's a there's almost no chance that this one's going to happen. But I think he'd be great for Klopp, and I, th- I do think he'd come as well. I think he I think he'd play for Liverpool definitely. But it's it's the fee, you know. I think his wages, in addition, would be probably a bit more realistic than Sancho's. But it's what other clubs are willing to pay him, which is probably going to be more. And a transfer fee is probably going to be massive, and uh, it just. Put us as outsiders a little bit, I think. Yeah, living in the realms of, of fantasy that I am, I mean, I think that the fee and negotiations to potentially get Calvin Phillips out of Leeds would be pretty high and demanding too. But I, I do completely take your point on with Jude Bellingham. And I, I personally don't think he'll be able to move for maybe a couple of years due to the fact that it does seem as though Dortmund A don't get taken to the cleaners and be a bit like Leicester City. You're only happy to sell one star player each summer, as it were, and it may be Holland next summer, and therefore you're looking at 2023 until Bellingham may well be sort of even approachable from a, a Borussia Dortmund standpoint. But I suppose on what you're saying, and if he were to fit into the wage structure in terms of transfer fees, we have seen in the past, though, that FSG have, and I know they obviously recouped the money for Felipe Coutinho, but they did spend big on the big 
transform transformational signings of the likes of Allison, the likes of Van Dijk, even Mohamed Salah when he came in. That was a big fee for Liverpool to pay at that time as well. And, and Naby Keita, let's not forget, the third most expensive player in Liverpool's history, over £50 million spent on him. So if it were to get to the time of 2023, and Jordan Henderson is very much coming to the twilight of his Liverpool career and James Milner has already moved on. And that midfield engine room, I suppose, by 2023 will need sort of refurbing even more because Thiago won't be getting any younger either. Maybe, just maybe, in in my fantasy, please, Josh, reason with me that there may well be a need to spend big for one player to really renovate the, the, the midfield engine room. Yeah, well, that's that's the key word that you've just used before. You know, when, when you said transformational, I think Liverpool will will pay these fees, but they the, the player has to be. Trans- <laughs> that's my dog. Sorry. Yeah, that wasn't me. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the, in terms of transformational stuff, that's a big, big word, and that that's um, not not many players fit that bill. And when you think of a transformational player. In terms of football, a transformational player for me kind of has to be. It might be a bit of a controversial take this, but it kind of has to be in attack or defence, really. When it comes to it, how, how transformational can a midfielder be? You know, Steven Gerrard? Well, yeah, I mean, that's a, bit <laughs> of a, <laughs> that's a bit of a one-off, that one. But I mean, in terms of delivering results and changing the way a team plays totally and stuff, how transformational can a midfielder be, really? I mean, when you think of Salah, Salah's obviously hugely transformational because of how much of an impact he has on Liverpool getting wins. And if you think of the same when it comes to Alisson, you think of the same when it comes to Van Dijk. Um, Was Fabi- does Fabinho not knock on the door of that? I don't think for me, Fabinho was transformational, no. I think the closest... I think out of all of Liverpool's midfielders, the most transformational is Thiago. And I think that oh, that is perhaps why Liverpool went and bought him, despite him not fitting the criteria whatsoever. You know, Liverpool went and bought a 29-year-old player. I don't know. But, but because he's transformational-ish. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean... Liverpool just in terms moved, of the, moved the goalposts for him. For, for me, though, on Fabinho, before he had come in, there was Emre Chan, there was Jordan Henderson. There was no one really anchoring that midfield that Klopp had full faith and trust in. He brings well, in Fabinho. He was happy to wait for him to acclimatise to the system. And now he isn't merely a wrecker who sits there. He picks the passes off from deep. And we saw last season, he was playing at centre-half. The results weren't going well. He had to be put back into his position for the team to function as it did. And in the end, won eight of ten games to, to get Champions League qualification. Well, it's it, it depends on your own opinions, really, doesn't it? It, it depends how you value the word transformational you know yeah i've just got up the dictionary definition of it (laughs) it says it just says able to produce a big change or improvement in a situation i don't get me wrong i think fabinho elite i don't think there's many better than fabinho out there in in that specific role at, at least but transformational is like you know, yeah, but did, a, a okay, okay. Who... we're going off. We're going off topic here, but again, I'm just <laughs> going to put forward one last sort of point for Fabinho being transformational. He transformed the way so Jurgen Klopp I... set things up to play because getting to that Kiev final, that was all about sort of the the rock and roll, heavy metal football flooding forward. When Fabinho then came into the team by the end of that what 
18-19 season. Getting my seasons mixed up, but that is the right one, wasn't it? 18-19. That he came into that side by the end of it. Then it had changed more to kind of being a controlling, albeit high-tempo, style of, of football. But he was able to bring that element of control to the midfield that maybe before was even more chaotic than what it is now. So a bit of a, I'll send one your way then, right? So let's, let's do it from an Arsenal perspective, right? right? So you, I add Fabinho to Arsenal. Yeah. And and Fabinho plays 35 of Arsenal's 38 games next season. What do you, how much of an, have a transformational impact do you think that has on Arsenal's points tally or position in the table or whatever? Last season, Arsenal finished on 60, th- 61 points. Huge. Yeah, I, th- I think he'd add, I think he would add at least 10 points personally because he, he, he would, he would A, for example, take Arsenal from last season, be able to do a better defensive job probably than a player like Granite Jacker. But ultimately, it's that ability to play balls forward from deep that. For Arsenal, very much struggle with, and it was it wasn't the defence that was bad for Arsenal last year. I think it was the third best maybe in the league. It was the attack that was poor, and it was the progressing the ball from deep, which I think Fabinho is ultimately one of, if not in the top three in the Premier League, for being able to to do that when he's he's sort of in a system and settled within a, a functional uh, midfield. Which if he were to drop into Arsenal's, they wouldn't be that maybe. But uh, no, I think uh, alongside Thomas Partey, I think that would be a uh, a hell of a midfield duo. But we we, we we've gone off topic there. But hang I think on, you... hang on, I'm not. No, finished. I'm not, I'm no not all right. Finished. Oh, here we go. Here we go. So, so when it comes <laughs> to what you just said, then right, if he was worth around ten points, that would yep. boost Arsenal from eighth to third in the yep. table. Um I don't think he'd have that impact. I, I really I think he's a great player, but players generally are worth less than you'd think. I I read a piece recently study on this and it was on a Man United Man United transfer business. And um I think whoever the data providers were, whoever conducted the study, they determined that Sancho getting added would be worth about six points for United and Varane about the same. So to then, you know, for Fabinho to be worth 10, Fabinho I think is worth less than Varane and Sancho in terms of points difference over the course of a full season. Um, and I think a transformational player is someone who's pushing like... Eight. Around ten points difference. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think Van Dijk is a ten point player. I do, yeah. I do, and I think Salah probably is. Um, Messi certainly. There's very few transformational players out there. I think that's a huge, huge label for a player. Yeah. No, but I, again, okay. it depends on your own, you know, your own, your own perception on that. Yeah, I think another big word to throw out there with Bellingham would be maybe generational. I mean, if he, if he, if he in two years' time is twenty years of age, he's played near on, if not more than fifty games in the Champions League. He's been part of a, a Borussia Dortmund team regularly qualifying for Champions League football and perhaps if they are regularly contending quarterfinal stages of Champions Leagues. I think if a big fee were to be paid for him by Liverpool, by whoever, personally, I would think it'd be a worthwhile investment because, I mean, you look at Jordan Henderson came in at 20 years of age and sort of the the, the impact he's been able to grow into his Liverpool career and have. If you were getting a player at that age that Jordan Henderson arrived from Sunderland, but someone who, as I say, has already played close to, if not more than 50 games in the Champions League. I think he 
I think he played about 10 last season in the competition. So, okay, sorry, not 50. He'll be more around 30 then, sorry. Maybe 30, 35 games in that competition. All of a sudden, he's already coming in with a wealth of top-level experience and has many, many years ahead. But we'll have to wait and see where we go. We spent a, a long time there on on Jude Bellingham, albeit I have to say I, I did enjoy it. I did enjoy the, the, the back and forth there, Josh. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. What about your your third and final pick? Yeah, so my third and final pick is a, a player who initially I was very, very impressed with, but I think since he's maybe drifted under the radar a little bit. And it is Morgan Gibbs White. So he's at um He's at Wolves, and when he initially came to, I think I might have watched his debut, certainly in the Premier League, and uh, he just looked, he looked better than his age. Basically, he didn't look shy. He looked um, like he was. He was a star the of the under seventeens World Cup side, wasn't he, with Rian Brewster? They, they were the two sort of pin-up boys, and, and neither quite yet have kicked on, have they? No, and I think um, I was surprised to learn actually before when I checked that Gibbs White actually spent. A bit of time, I think it was it last season at, at Swansea. Yeah, first um, half of the season. Yeah, yeah, I was quite surprised at that because I I thought he was, you know, gradually moving forward and gradually becoming a bit more of a prominent figure at Wolves. But um, obviously that's maybe not the case if he's been out on loan. But at the same time, Wolves had a bit of a bad season, and maybe the new the new manager now, new head coach will give him a bit of a boost. But his contract runs out in twenty twenty three, so that's two years. Um. He does fit in midfield, you know, Liverpool are kind of without a midfielder. And I do think what I mentioned earlier about every player on Liverpool's team offering some form of threat on the ball. I do think he's quite threatening. I think he's he's been used at times as an attacker for Wolves. So he's got that kind of, a bit of a Wijnaldum skill set really, maybe. Um, although Wijnaldum reached a, a seriously high level and Wijnaldum's quality was was ridiculous as well. So he's got big boots to fill if he's gonna if he's gonna step into that. But I just mean in terms of an English player who I don't think you'd say is drifting, but who who you could probably get for a for a fair price. I think he's yeah. he's a bit of an insistent on him. No, he crossed my mind and then I, I, I thought actually no, I I think maybe he's as you say drifting. But at the same time that that is Sort of all the hallmarks of a Liverpool signing, isn't it? You sort of think of the the likes of Mohamed Salah, pe- players who people deem maybe not good enough or are dis- discarded. I mean, I think one of his big problems at Wolves, especially under Nuno, was how defensive the team was. And he's a guy who does flourish, certainly, I think, playing in central midfield, attacking midfield. Now, you compared him there to Genie Wijnaldum. For me, I would kind of maybe categorise him more currently at the moment in the Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain camp of, has he really nailed down what position he is? And and actually, is that going to be to his detriment eventually? Now, this season, I think, could be a telling one for him. That said, what you were saying there, there's probably a fee there to be had. And if Liverpool were to jump ahead of the curve, as you say, they so often do operate, they may well be able to, to find the player within there. But at the moment, I think it's probably quite difficult to kind of... Um, really know exactly how things are going to gonna play out for him. He's only 21 years of age, though, so there obviously is still plenty of development left in him. Yeah, that was what I was going to say. I was going to flag his age because, you know, when you say a, a player's drifting and you, you start thinking, oh, he hasn't really fulfilled his potential or whatever, the fact he's still just just 21, you know, he's got, he's got plenty of time ahead of him there. 
Uh, I think Curtis Jones is a little bit younger, but um, they do seem generally fairly similar in the way they play and stuff. So, yeah, if Liverpool do want to fill a home homegrown quota by by making one or two signings, I think Gibbs White would be a player who you you could just get for a reasonable price. Obviously, Liverpool have bought from Wolves fairly recently, so they seem willing to do business and stuff. Um, they also seem heavily inclined to sign Portuguese players, and he's not Portuguese. Uh, so I don't know. It, it was just kind of an outside the box show because I was really impressed with him when I when I first saw him, and um, I think he do pretty well on the club as well. Looking at how well rounded he is, you know, Klopp generally likes well rounded players who can you can do different things, and I think he's like that. I don't think he's one dimensional at all. And the fact he hasn't got this position that you just mentioned could bode well for him, considering his age. You know, you can kind of mould him into whatever you want him to be. So, yeah, I thought I'd throw him in there because I, th- I had a feeling you'd mentioned Bellingham. So I thought rather than mentioning him, I'd mention an- another centre mid who maybe won't reach the same heights, but is English and has plenty of uh, potential to f- fulfil. Yeah, it looks just in there the the Birmingham Mail report that he's he, he played and scored in a preseason friendly for for Wolves yesterday, as well. So it may be interesting to just keep an eye on his development through the course of this season, regardless of maybe Liverpool may well have him on a list somewhere along the line. So my final pick then, we've spoken about I think every player we've spoken about actually is is homegrown, aren't they? But there is the club trained rules also to think about as well. Now, to be fair, Liverpool are very well stocked in terms of club trained players because they've got Trent, who obviously is club trained, but Cleveland Kelleher also falls into that bracket, as do the Nico Williams, Reese Williams and Curtis Jones, albeit they are under that 21 threshold. So they wouldn't actually need to be registered to those spaces could be left open. And I think Joe Gomez, having arrived at the age he arrives may well just fall into being club trained as well. I'm not entirely sure, but my shout anyway, before I go down a complete rabbit hole is, is Ryan Kent. Um, Liverpool obviously have a decent sell on fee for him. Leeds United have been sniffing around and interested for quite some time. But personally, we've seen Liverpool profit from selling fringe players for big fees. We've seen sell on fees also be a, a makeup of the Michael Edwards uh, repertoire in terms of transfer dealings. I wonder, Josh, if Liverpool would ever consider going back in for a player, they had the option to buy back Rian Brewster and that clause activated, uh, sorry, inserted into the deal with Sheffield United. But with Ryan Kent, he's gone up north of the border with Steven Gerrard at Rangers and has pretty much forced his way into becoming their key man. Yeah, he looks like an assistant player, but I think when it comes to what you've just said there, going back and signing a player who's left, I think if you were to do that, there'd, there'd be an element of kind of admitting that you maybe got it wrong in a way. Yep. So and I think Liverpool's recruitment just generally tends to be that good that when they make these decisions regarding certain players, for them to get get it wrong and eventually go back and bring them back to the club, they'd have to get it, you know, seriously wrong to play. They'd have to have a real obtain in ability or whatever. Um obviously we sold Brewster, we sold Keanu Hoover. They were deemed to have plenty of potential, but since haven't really done anything just yet. That makes Liverpool, that would take Liverpool's attention. Um, and I think Kent, although Kent's probably had arguably the best time since he's left, you know, I'm just looking at his numbers here. And, you know, last season he he, he started 36 of the, the Rangers Scottish Premiership matches 
scored 10, assisted 9. So, and in terms of his positions as well, right across the front line, you know, playing all over the place. I'm not sure if you can hear that, by the way. That's Yeah, I can. Yeah, that's the, the rumbling thunderclouds yeah. of Merseyside. Yeah, well, that's probably that might be a sign to be honest that Ryan Kent shouldn't be signed. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think generally the the way the way he is, the fact he's versatile across different positions, scores goals and registers assists, is young. I think he ticks all of those Liverpool type boxes, plays virtually every week as well. But the big question mark would just be, what? How good is he in terms of yeah. just it's just his general quality? Is he good enough to like? win a Champions League or even play as a backup uh, as a rotation option for to, to win a Champions League. You know, is he, is he that level? So I think he's got the profile. He's a bit like Bowen, a bit like Jared Bowen, similar type of link to that. Yeah, no, I have to say, like I say, he's very much in the wildcard category for me because, as I say, it was somebody who fitted the extra quota sort of bracket as well that I thought was appealing. I mean, he is he is only 24. Of course, he left permanently two years ago and he had a fair few loans here, there and everywhere. But it does feel at Rangers, he really kind of has found a home and he is now beginning to develop into the player that a few sort of thought he, he could become. As you say, he is a very versatile, very dynamic forward player as well. Plays in a system that is very similar to Jurgen Klopp's at Liverpool as well, and I think at 24, probably similar age to to that that kind of the likes of of Salah and Mane were both sort of picked up as well. And I, I take your point in terms of Liverpool then having to admit they're wrong to then go back and get him. But admittedly, at the same time, if a player is a later developer and has more development later on than was anticipated, that can't always be sort of equated for when a transfer is sanctioned and they are seen off. And I think sort of the links to a club like Leeds in particular as well, we've spoken a number of times about Rafinha and sort of those kind of players, the way in which they play. To me, it does sort of feel like this This could be a player who could fit the system. But like yourself, I'm not sure maybe if the quality is probably quite at the uh, the top, top level it would need to be. Yeah, I mean, when you've just said there about admitting you're wrong and stuff like that, I, I don't think there's anything so much in that that Liverpool wouldn't want to do anything like that. I don't think it's like a, an ego thing where Liverpool wouldn't want to admit the wrong. And I, I meant that more as in Liverpool do the due diligence so much yeah. when it comes to recruitment that you, you just surely they will have been aware basically of the level this kid can reach and they'll have been pretty confident that he's not going to get to the level required to represent yeah. Liverpool on a regular basis. So I think, as I said, for for a player to, you know, change that, he'd have to have a serious. Like I'm trying to think of any players out there who've just out of nowhere just blown up. Like I think Kane was a bit like that. Harry Kane yeah. was it was a player who I just thought was just absolutely okay, and then out of nowhere he's become like arguably the best English striker ever. He's maybe. homegrown. He's homegrown. Yeah, well, he's, he's, defi- he's definitely homegrown. Yeah, but. <laughs> Those players who just out of nowhere explode, yeah, it doesn't happen very often. And I think if, if they did, Liverpool would move and do it. I don't think there'd be any embarrassment there that oh we let them go on loan or we let them go for a, a reduced price. I just think for that to happen though, the player would probably have to explode even more than than Kent has at Rangers. 
Yeah, no, fair point. Take take what you say there. And also Liverpool do obviously have that sell-on clause with him anyway that they could well profit from in the end. But that's it from us for this edition then here on the latest episode of Analyzing Anfield, our homegrown transfer picks. Do let us know what you thought of the episode in the comments section or leave us a rating or review wherever it is you listen to us through the uh, podcast feeds. But from myself, Guy Clark and Josh Williams, thanks for your time and your company here on Blood Red. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.